Now, over the last, what, three or so years, the global mission strategy has been to use mission societies in each one of our regions. So the ACR, the American Commonwealth Region, which is our family of churches, which is made up of the churches in Kentucky, Pennsylvania, um, Ohio, West Virginia, Virginia, Maryland, Delaware, and did I say Pennsylvania? Pennsylvania. Those churches, we come together as a region and we have our own um, mission society. That's how... Um, uh, Bowling Green is getting planted. That's how Lehigh Valley is getting planted. That's how Lynchburg is going to be able to go out in 2020. And so each one of these regions around the world has their own mission societies that are tasked with the purpose of evangelizing their areas. Amen? And so that is our global mission strategy. Now, unfortunately, our communication has not been very good over the last few years. And so each region is now tasked to have a communications person or representative. That person's job is to be sure that the regions know what's going on all around the kingdom. So part of that is the hot news videos that we watch, the um, hope videos that we watch, the Disciples Today website that we have, um, social media, different avenues that we have going on. Their roles are to kind of pull all that stuff together, make it unified so that there's one single message coming through. Amen? And then, uh, we, were have, we did have a, an evangelist service team um, where uh, the evangelist's job was to figure out this global strategy, okay? Um, that has kind of fulfilled its purpose, and so now each region has appointed a, a, a person to sit on a global missions task force, and that person is the regional chair. So the regional chairs get together to talk about global strategy for evangelism, and really they're there to sharpen one another and call each other higher in this purpose and in this mission. The other thing is a regional peacemaking plan. One of the greatest threats to any church is disunity within the church, pride amongst the leadership, and ultimately the church splitting and disintegrating. Uh, obviously, none of us wants that to happen. And so each region has a, a regional peacemaking strategy, and there's different steps and, and processes. If, if things can't be resolved at certain levels, they get elevated, and then different people get involved in different meetings take place in order to ultimately resolve the conflict. I'm really simplifying it, but those things are now in place. Um, finances. In the, in the long past, before 2003, finances were, we had a global pot of money to do global things. Um, we have not had that, we're not going to have that, at least in the short term, but we are going to have regional pots to fund regional things. So the ACR already has its own mission society pot of money. But let's just say for, um, in this regional peacemaking, let's say an elder needs to travel from one church to the other church. Um, there's going to be a regional pot to help um, support that elder traveling to work out some of these issues. Lastly is the issue of structure. Um, the church has uh, gone through a period of, of very slow growth over the last 15 years or so. 
And so there was a call to change the way that we are organized globally to try to accelerate that growth. In, in essence, try to help the weaker churches that don't get touched by the stronger churches. We have weaker churches in our fellowship that tend to be isolated. And because of that isolation, they don't grow. Where we have other churches that are in uh, helpful fellowship with one another, and because of that fellowship, they tend to grow and do better. So, the, um, the, the, the proposal initially was, let's change the structure so that each one of these churches is mandated to get help. And that was debated for over about a year and a half. Um, what was decided in Panama was that we would not do that, but we would modify our existing structure, which is the delegate structure, on top of all the different things that I just mentioned. Okay, And through all of these things, we are, are hoping that these things will help to pull in some of these churches that are more isolated as individual regions get stronger. I, I know that that's, you're kind of like, what is all that about? Honestly, in, in Hampton Roads, we probably won't be affected a whole lot by these things because the Hampton Roads Church tends to be on the forefront of a lot of the, the a lot of the changes that are happening. We're typically doing the things before the rest of the kingdom is doing them. But if you were to visit one of these churches that are more isolated, those are the churches that are probably going to be more impacted by these changes that I've been talking about here for the last few minutes. But I did want everyone to know about them so that we could all be informed. And like I said, uh, there may be some discussion about that at the conference coming up this weekend. So anyway, we had great lessons on moving forward, moving forward by faith. Um, personally, I walked away with a renewed hope and focus on the saving of souls. And so we have our own NOW conference coming up this weekend. Like uh, I was going to say Andrew, but Daniel... Like Daniel said, we have over 2,300 people already registered. Um, I know that we talked about it during our midweek service. Thank you so much, Reg, for leading the church and doing that. Um, I heard that that was very productive. And because of all the conference activity, just to reiterate again, we will not be having a Tidewater midweek this upcoming Wednesday evening. Okay? So if you come here, the lights will be out. No one will be here to greet you. We'll all be waiting for you Friday at the conference, okay? So please, go ahead, take the time to register, download the app. Conferences really are life-changing. Um, lessons are great, um, but really, it's the fellowship. When we went to Panama, the, the lessons were awesome. But I read my Bible. I've listened to thousands of lessons over the last 20-some-odd years, okay? I'm not saying they weren't impacting. They were... But what was more impacting was sitting down, was having that dinner with that brother, with that sister, Leslie and I sharing our lives, getting discipling, getting input, giving input, and making those bonds, getting unified. Yep. That's what's going to be impactful for us as well. Yeah. Not just that, but the social proof that comes from a conference. When you have a lot of people gathered together doing the same thing, you begin to think to yourself, oh... I guess I am doing the right thing. Because when you go to work and you're the only Christian there, you begin to wonder, don't you? Is this the right thing? Have I lost my mind? 
watch when you come together this weekend, and there's almost 3,000 brothers and sisters that are in the convention center, raising their hands, singing, worshiping God, smiles on everybody's faces, you're going to think, you know what? I'm in the right place. And your faith is going to be lifted. Amen? And so, let's get into the sermon for this morning. We're running late. Acts chapter, you don't have to turn there, but Acts chapter 1 says that uh, Jesus says through the Holy Spirit that the gospel will spread from Jerusalem to Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth through the apostles. The rest of Acts shows the Holy Spirit working with power through them to spread the gospel. And that really is the major story of Acts. If you could put up... um, My next slide. There we go. This is the slide we've been looking at. If you're joining us, we've been going through the book of Acts over the course of the last, uh, since the beginning of the year. And we're currently at the end of Paul's second missionary journey. He's made a a counterclockwise circle around this uh, area called Asia Minor and what is now modern day Greece. And um, as he moves southward through Greece, he hits two major cities. He hits Athens, and then he crosses the Aegean Sea, and he hits um, he hits Athens, he hits Corinth, and then we're going to be talking about Ephesus today in Corinth. He's there for about one and a half years, which at the time was the longest stay he'd ever had in any particular city. And he leaves Corinth with Priscilla and Aquila, and he goes back to Syria, but along the way he stops at Ephesus. He leaves Priscilla and Aquila there in Ephesus. And he goes back to Antioch, and he says that he'll be back if it's God's will. This ends his second journey. You can read about that in Acts chapter 18. Now the third missionary journey, next slide, begins in Acts chapter 18, verse 23. If you could just read that here with me. Acts 18.23, or Acts 18.22 says, When he landed at Caesarea... He went up to Jerusalem and greeted the church and then went down to Antioch. Antioch was home base. After spending some time in Antioch, Paul set out from there and traveled from place to place throughout the region of Galatia and Phrygia, strengthening all the disciples. That's the kickoff or the beginning of this third missionary journey. Teens did a great job last week, by the way, with your team worship service. Thank you so much for all that you guys did. And now, one of the things as we read this upcoming section here, we're going to actually start in Acts chapter 18, verse 24. One of the major um, things that we come across is that bulks of, of text or major sections of thought in the Bible and individual sentences were not cataloged into chapters and verses until the 1500s, roughly 500 years ago. And so, in other words, when Luke wrote the Gospel of Luke, or when he wrote Acts, he did not have, oh, Acts chapter 19, verse 4, Acts chapter 19, verse 5. He just wrote the whole thing, and then 500 years ago, guys came along and said, hey, wouldn't it be good to kind of index these things so that we can know where to find them, right? And so, as we read these couple of passages, uh, it's easy to get off track. Because you've got a big fat 19 breaking up what I'm about to read, and you begin to think that it's two different things, when really, it's one. And so, again, we're going to be in Ephesus. This is all about Paul's ministry in Ephesus, where where he spent the most amount of time, and where his ministry probably hit a high point. 
And we're going to talk about the great spreading of the word in Ephesus and its impacts and some lessons that we can learn from Paul's time in this really great and cosmopolitan city. The title of the sermon this morning or this afternoon is Rebaptism, Repentance, and Riots. Part one. Rebaptism, Repentance, and Riots. Part one. Pray with me. I was going to say pray for me. You can do that too. But pray with me. <laughs> oh, Father, you are just um, amazing. You're awesome. You're holy. You're mighty. You are perfect, God. And we love you so much. We bow before you right now in our minds and in our hearts. We submit ourselves to you. We give ourselves to you wholly and fully. We open up our ears, we open up our minds, we open up our hearts to receive your word through the power of your Holy Spirit. We know that you want your word to spread, not just throughout Hampton Roads or throughout Virginia, but all around the world. You want every single man, woman, and child to hear the message of your son, Jesus Christ. And Father, we pray that this reading of your word this morning would inspire and encourage us, Lord, along those lines. Please, speak through me. Let these words be yours and not my own. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Acts chapter 18, verse 24 says, Meanwhile, a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was a learned man with a thorough knowledge of the scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and he spoke with great fervor and taught about Jesus accurately, though he knew only the baptism of John. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue. When Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they invited him to their home and explained to him the way of God more adequately. When Apollos wanted to go to Achaia, the brothers and sisters encouraged him and wrote to the disciples there to welcome him. When he arrived, he was a great help to those who by grace had believed, for he vigorously refuted his Jewish opponents in public debate, proving from the scriptures that Jesus was the Messiah. Pay no attention to the big 19. While Apollos was at Corinth, Paul took the road through the interior and arrived at Ephesus. There he found some disciples and asked them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? They answered, No, we've not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. So Paul asked, then what baptism did you receive? John's baptism, they replied. Paul said John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. He told the people to believe in the one coming after him, that is, in Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Paul placed his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they spoke in tongues and prophesied. There were about twelve men in all. Point number one this morning is... Did you receive the Holy Spirit? Did you receive the Holy Spirit? As Paul begins his third journey, something interesting happens in Ephesus. Now remember, Priscilla and Aquila were left there. And as they're going to the synagogue, a Jew from Alexandria shows up and begins to preach. He's a Jew, but he has the name of a Greek god, Apollos. And we read his impressive resume there at the end of Acts chapter 18. It says he was a learned man. It says that he had a thorough knowledge of the scripture. It says that he was instructed in the way of the Lord. That he spoke with great fervor. That he taught about Jesus accurately. Would you agree that he's quite an impressive man? Yes. But he had a big problem. 
What was Apollos' problem? He knew only the baptism of John. And so Priscilla and Aquila, they show him some hospitality. They invite him to their home. They give him the spaghetti dinner or whatever it was that they fed him. And they teach him, the Bible says, more adequately. He moves on to Corinth. While he's in Corinth, Paul comes behind him now on this third journey and arrives in Ephesus. Could you go back two more slides back to my, the map? I'm sorry. So, so Paul starts in Antioch over there at roughly 4 o'clock. And he makes his way through uh, the churches he originally planted in Derby, Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch of Pisidia. And he makes his way and he hits Ephesus. Now, right as he's hitting Ephesus, Apollos had just left Ephesus. Apollos had crossed the Aegean Sea and made his way to Corinth. Okay? So you can go back to the, um, the, the, the point slide, Jerry. And so while Paul is there in Ephesus, he meets 12 disciples who don't know about the Spirit because they also have a problem. What was their problem? They only knew the baptism of John. So two groups of people, same exact problem, right? And that's why the chapter designation doesn't help much because it, it causes us to break these two episodes apart in our minds when really they should be viewed together. And Luke is trying to show us something here. And more importantly, God is saying something here. Are you with me? What is God saying? He's saying that God is using Priscilla and Aquila and Paul to reach out to these people who still have not fully heard the gospel yet. Now, what was the baptism of John? Baptism was not invented in Acts chapter 2. Okay? People were baptizing before Acts chapter 2. Actually, it was practiced hundreds of years before by the Jews to ceremonially cleanse. So even at the temple, they had these huge like water um, pools, sort of. They were called mikvahs. And so when we read in Acts chapter 2 that 3,000 people were baptized that day, you might wonder, where were those 3,000 people baptized? How, did they have enough horse troughs for everybody to get baptized? They went into the mikvahs, which were more than large enough to baptize large numbers of people because the Jews had been doing that again for hundreds of years. And so when John came preparing the way for Jesus, Mark chapter 1 verse 4 says that John preached a baptism of what? Repentance for the forgiveness of what? Sins. That's right. And so we know from Luke chapter 3 that John called people to repent and turn back to God and he baptized them in preparation for Jesus the Messiah and Jesus' ministry. And so we see an example of this in John 1. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, it says the next day John was there again with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, look, the Lamb of God. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. One of those guys was Andrew. And so this is what John's ministry was all about. More than likely, it seems like Apollos had lived in Alexandria, but he had gone on a pilgrimage to Jerusalem, probably during one of the feasts, and he had been baptized by John and gone back to Alexandria again. The only problem is that John died in the early 30s before Jesus died, and Apollos doesn't go on this trip to Ephesus until the early 50s, which is 20 years later. And so Apollos... 20 years after Pentecost, still had
had not heard about the Spirit. He still only knew the baptism of John. Remember, they didn't have Twitter, didn't have Facebook, they didn't even have the U.S. Postal Service back then, whatever your criticisms are of the U.S. Postal Service. It's like he's Rip Van Winkle. It's like he's in a time warp or something. And so Luke doesn't say exactly what Priscilla and Aquila taught Apollos more adequately. But it must have been that Jesus was the Messiah, which Apollos already knew because John preached that. But it must have been that Jesus suffered and that Jesus died and that Jesus rose again from the dead on the third day. And that 50 days after that, the Holy Spirit was given to His people. Visibly, externally, miraculously, but also internally by an indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Remember John writes and Jesus says that streams of living water will flow from within you once the Holy Spirit is given. And that's what we all get to enjoy today. Amen? And so I'm sure... That's what they must have explained to him. And so Paul comes across these 12 disciples here now in Acts chapter 19. But I would ask, disciples of who? If they only knew the baptism of John, were they disciples of Jesus? No, these guys were disciples of John. They only knew the baptism of John. They did not even know about the Spirit. Actually, that's not the best translation of the Greek. In the American Standard Version, they do a better job. In this, uh, Acts chapter 19, verse 2, where it says, uh, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? They answered, No, we have not even heard that there is a Spirit. In the ASV, it says, No, we did not so much as hear whether the Holy Spirit was given. Which is a better rendering of the Greek. And so they knew about the Spirit. Because again, John preached about the Spirit. He says, I baptize you with water, but he, speaking about Jesus, will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. They simply didn't know that the Spirit had come. And so here's 12 more people caught in a time warp. They were baptized by John, either A, baptized by John, or they were baptized by Apollos. Paul comes and stumbles upon them. And think about it. It makes sense. It would be highly, highly, highly coincidental for Priscilla and Aquila to be in a synagogue and meet Apollos, who only knew the baptism of John. Apollos move on. Paul comes through. He meets 12 disciples in the same exact city that have the same exact problem. This problem isn't mentioned anywhere else in the whole book of Acts, that they only knew the baptism of John. And so what makes sense? What makes sense is that Apollos left Alexandria with his limited knowledge, but amen, he was fired up. He goes to Ephesus, he preaches, he baptizes people into John's baptism because that's what he knew. As he was about to leave, we're still in Aquila, hey, let's sit down, let's have a little bit of dinner here, explains to him the way of God, more Jesus more adequately. Paul comes through, Priscilla and Aquila tell him, hey, listen, you know what, Apollos has been out converting people with only the baptism of John. And so Paul runs across these 12 disciples of John in Ephesus. Does that make sense? And I'm, trying, I'm taking some time to explain this because I know that we've read this and people have lots and lots and lots of questions about what all this stuff means. So if this is going over your head or if this is boring you, pardon me. 
Now, Paul, he, he says, he meets these guys and he says, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? Like that, I mean, was that like a common question? Is that just like, like was that like, what's up? Like, did you, he, he didn't just commonly, ordinarily say this to people. Right. There's a reason why he was asking the question. And again, it was probably because he knew that there were people that had been taught by Apollos in this regard. It's either that, or Paul wanted to give miraculous gifts of the Holy Spirit, which he's also known for doing as well. They say that they didn't know that there was a Holy Spirit, or better yet, they didn't know the Holy Spirit had been given. And so Paul goes to the root of the problem. Then what baptism did you receive? Notice he connects receiving the Holy Spirit with correct baptism. Do you notice that? And sure enough, the problem comes to light. They only received the baptism of John. Again, either A, by John the Baptist himself, or by Apollos. And Paul explains to them the way of God more adequately as well. What did he explain to them? Well, it says, He told the people, John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. He told the people to believe in the one coming after him. That is, in Jesus. And so Paul explains to them the way of God more adequately as well. I'm sure this doesn't record everything that Paul said. I'm sure Paul preached the gospel to them and told them that Jesus had died, been buried, and resurrected from the dead on the third day. I'm sure he explained to them about Pentecost. And so Paul then baptizes these 12 Ephesian disciples. They are not only filled with the Holy Spirit, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, but Paul then lays his hands upon these guys as well, and they receive the miraculous gifts of the Holy Spirit in the same way that the Samaritan disciples did in Acts chapter 8. The cool thing is that the twelve are humble. They hear Paul's message. They're immediately baptized. And people wonder about rebaptism. Is it right? Well, it is if you just got wet the first time you were baptized. For me, I've been baptized three times. Um, I never repented, and I just got wet those first two times. And so since these guys more than likely had been converted by Apollos and received John's old covenant baptism after the new covenant had been put into effect... Do you get what I'm saying here? Pentecost had already come, new covenant in place, but they're still getting old covenant baptism through John. I know it might be a little bit confusing. Because of that, they just got wet. And so Paul explains to them, no, you're supposed to be believing in, putting your faith in Jesus the Messiah, he's resurrected, you can get the Holy Spirit, on and on and on. And so they go on and they get baptized. Amen? Amen. Was Apollos rebaptized too? That... No, Another time, we'll cover that at a different time. I don't, I don't have time to get into that this morning. But what do we see from this? One, God used a married couple and Paul, a single man, to reach out to people and to further their teaching. It's always fun, inspiring, and faith-building when Leslie and I get the chance to reach out to someone together. Uh, uh, these guys from Aquila reach out to Apollos, and they're put in a potentially intimidating situation, reaching out to this guy that's very learned, very powerful in speech, very confident, obviously, to go out into the synagogue and to begin preaching the word. But this married couple was willing to have him into their home and confident enough in their convictions to teach him further. Amen? Amen. That's for all 
us married people out there. We need to be able to do things like this. What else can we get? Apollos passionately taught what he knew. you got to respect the man for that. He was sincere. God sent Priscilla and Aquila in his life to instruct him further, and he must have listened. And no one wants to preach the wrong thing, but it's better to be passionate about preaching something, even if it's incomplete, and be humble and let God teach you along the way, than it is to not preach anything at all out of fear because you don't have perfect understanding. Church, we need to get in motion. If I hear another person, to, okay, I'm, I'm going off the deep end. Let me just pull myself back. Let me pull myself back. In. I don't mean to say that. It's time, listen, it's time to stop waiting to be taught. And it's time to put what we've been taught into practice. We have world-class teaching in this church. And I'm not talking about myself. I'm not saying I'm a world-class teacher. I'm just saying we get taught. T-A-U-G-H-T. Every language, we know Hebrew. We know Greek. We know Aramaic. We know Spanish. I mean, we know like everything, okay? It's time to put it into practice. You don't have to know everything to go and preach the gospel. Apollos knew that. I don't fault him for like, man, he didn't have it right. I'm like, I'm impressed by the man. And I think God will be impressed by us as we put what we know into practice. We may not know all there is to know about the sovereignty of God, grace, uh, the end times, what's going to happen when Jesus comes back. But we know enough to move forward. We know enough to move forward. And if we're wrong, let's be humble and let God teach us. Let's be willing to make changes. But let's never stop preaching what we know, which is the good news about Jesus Christ. Amen? Lastly, what, what can we get from this passage? Have you received the Holy Spirit? Do you have streams of living water flowing from within you? Now God was reaching out to Apollos and Ephesians 12. He wanted them to know the truth. And he used Priscilla and Aquila. He used Paul to reach out to these guys. And both Apollos and Ephesians 12 had some understanding of truth. And Apollos was even preaching the truth that he knew. But they were humble. And they were willing to learn and be taught more adequately. Now we all need to have this posture. A humble posture. Firm in our convictions but always ready to learn. If you're a guest this morning, is God reaching out to you this afternoon? I believe that He is. You're not here at 1132 Pickett Road by accident. Just like Apollos didn't go into that synagogue by accident when Priscilla and Aquila were there. Just like the Ephesians 12 weren't wherever they were when Paul saw them by accident. They were there by God's purpose, God's design. God was reaching out to them. God is reaching out to you too as well. There's a lot of half teaching out there. Incomplete teaching out there. And a lot of people who need further teaching about their salvation. Now you may be invited to dinner or coffee this afternoon to look at some scriptures afterwards. I encourage you to say yes. 
Yes, I'd love to go to dinner. I'd love to go to coffee. And when you do, be humble. Be willing to learn. Just like Apollos. Just like the Ephesian 12. And if necessary, be willing to add to what you have already learned or been taught. Amen? Amen. God wants all men to be filled with His Holy Spirit. Point two. The word of the Lord must be heard. The word of the Lord must be heard. Acts chapter 19, verse 8, it says, Paul entered the synagogue and spoke boldly there for three months, arguing persuasively about the kingdom of God. But some of them became obstinate. They refused to believe and publicly maligned the way. So Paul left them. He took the disciples with him and had discussions daily in the lecture hall of Tyrannus. This went on for two years, so that all the Jews and Greeks who lived in the province of Asia heard the word of the Lord. And so Paul here sets another record in terms of length of stay in one place. At least two years and three months in Ephesus. And this is why I say that I believe this was the, the high point of Paul's ministry. This is where a lot of work got done was in Ephesus. If you've ever read the Revelation uh, chapter um, 2 where the, the Spirit writes to the seven churches, right? The first church was where? Ephesus. first church was Ephesus, okay? The other six churches were smaller churches all surrounding Ephesus. And so from Ephesus, the Word of God went out and other churches were planted. Paul had an incredibly fruitful ministry in these two years and three months that he was in Ephesus. Now these cities like Ephesus and Corinth were, big, Corinth were big enough at the time to allow him to preach the word of God without it spreading, bad news spreading too quickly and him getting into too much trouble. So that's another reason why he was able to stay for so long. But here we see God working through a public Bible discussion. Paul took the disciples out of the synagogue because he was getting some friction. He got some space in the lecture hall, and he had Bible discussions daily. And they must have been effective because over the course of these two years, it says, look what it says, all the Jews and Greeks, verse 10, right? All the Jews and Greeks who lived in the province of Asia heard the word of the Lord. We're talking about hundreds of thousands of people. Now, are we talking literally, like literally every single person heard the word of the Lord? I doubt it. However, I think Luke is saying that the vast majority of the people heard the word of the Lord and there was a profound impact because of what Paul was doing. Can we talk about our Bible talks? Yeah. I'm not down on anybody, okay? I think that our Bible talks are necessary. I think that our Bible talks are, are encouraging. I think that we need to continue having our Bible talks. I want us to ask ourselves a question when it comes to our Bible talks. Are they effective at helping all those in the surrounding area hear the word of the Lord? Paul's little Bible talk that he had, it had impact, right? Everyone in the province of Asia heard the word of the Lord. Can we say the same thing for our Bible talks in our neighborhoods? Do people even know that we're there? Do people even know that we're having a Bible talk 
meeting in that neighborhood that Friday evening. Many of our Bible talks are really just Bible studies with food. You know them, right? And look, again, I'm not down on us. I'm not down on us. I'm not saying that studying the Bible is bad. I'm not saying that food is bad. I'm just trying to say that we tend to be very inwardly focused on taking care of ourselves. And we're not outwardly focused trying to take care of everybody else. The prime directive of our Bible talks is not to build ourselves up. The prime directive of our Bible talks is to go and make disciples of all nations. We have meetings like this to build ourselves up. In particular, the midweek meeting is there to build ourselves up, right? The Bible talk is to go and make disciples. Now, along the way, are we going to get built up? Yes! Along the way, are we going to have fellowship? Yes! Along the way, are we going to build family? Yes! These things are going to happen. But we're there to make an impact in our communities. Who wants to come to a Bible study on a Friday night? I don't know anybody who wants to come to a Bible study on a Friday night. Do you see what I'm saying here? We've been studying the Bible all week, individually, in our quiet times, collectively, Sunday, midweek. We need that time to be devoted to serving people. And helping people to understand and hear the word of the Lord. Amen. And so I ask again, how effective have our Bible talks been? Do different guests come regularly? Is there a following being built with our Bible talks? If they're not effective, we need to get together and we need to talk about what we can do to make them more effective. Do not wait for me to tell you exactly and specifically what you need to do in your Bible talk. Each one of our Bible talks is incredibly different. Some of us have a ton of kids. Some of us have no kids. Some of us are young professionals. Some of us are campus students. Some of us are teenagers. I can't say do this and it fit everything that everybody wants to do. Each one of us, our Bible talks it is, we have to be creative. We have to get on our knees and pray and ask God, God, what do you need for us to do in order for our areas to hear the word of the Lord? Amen? Maybe it means to get out of our living rooms and go into the community. Maybe it means going bowling and while we're there talking to people about Jesus. Maybe it means going and serving in the food bank on a Saturday morning instead of meeting on that Friday night and sharing with the people that we meet. What about a sustained door knocking campaign in our neighborhood, neighborhoods to invite people to the Bible discussion? Maybe we need to go to the park and before we have the Bible discussion we invite everybody in the park to come on over and have some hot dogs and hamburgers before we have our Bible discussion. Many people have been met and converted that way. I'm just saying that if what we're doing isn't effective in helping our areas to hear the word of the Lord, we've got to do something different. Don't keep doing the same thing over and 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 over again just because we've been doing it over and over and over and over and over and over and over again. Does that make sense? Like we gotta think, like, why am I here? Why has God placed us here? It's to seek and to save the lost. Teens. Come on. Teens. 
I keep saying teens because I'm waiting for all the teens to look at me. Teens. You guys need to start a Bible talk in your schools. It can be before school, around the flagpole. It can be during lunchtime for 10-15 minutes. It can be after school in some room that your teacher lets you use. But you guys have to have the word of the Lord being preached within your schools. And you guys are the ones to do it. You think we're going to show up at your schools and preach the word to your friends? No! You guys need to do that. Make it spicy. Talk about some of the hot topics of the day. Talk about who's being appointed to the Supreme Court. Talk about the, the Me Too movement. Talk about race relations and, and, and everything God's Word says about those things. You think you'll have some friends show up to that? You bet your bottom dollar they'll be there. Because you guys have opinions. And that's a good thing. That's a good thing. And so let's read the verse again and be inspired. He took the disciples with him and had discussions daily in the lecture hall of Tyrannus. This went on for two years so that all the Jews and Greeks who lived in the province of Asia heard the word of the Lord. Amen? Last point. Burn or be burned. Burn or be burned. 19, Acts chapter 19 verse 11. God did extraordinary miracles through Paul. So that even handkerchiefs and aprons that had touched him were taken to the sick and their illnesses were cured and evil spirits left them. Some Jews who went around driving out evil spirits tried to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who were demon-possessed. They would say, in the name of the Jesus whom Paul preaches, I command you to come out. Seven sons of Sceva, Jewish chief priests, were doing this. One day, the evil spirit answered them. Jesus I know, and Paul I know about, but who are you? Then the man who had the evil spirit jumped on them and overpowered them all. He gave them such a beating that they ran out of the house naked and bleeding. Whoa! When this became known to the Jews and Greeks living in Ephesus, they were all seized with fear. And the name of the Lord Jesus was held in high honor. Many of those who believed now came and openly confessed what they had done. A number who had practiced sorcery brought their scrolls together and burned them publicly. When they calculated the value of the scrolls, the total came to 50,000 drachmas. In this way, the word of the Lord spread widely and grew in power. You see the theme here in Ephesus. It's the word of the Lord growing and spreading in power. Burn or be burned. God did the miracles through Paul. Verse 11. Paul didn't do them by his own strength, by his own wisdom, by his own whatever. Being able to recite some magic spell. God did these extraordinary miracles through Paul. Paul was just a vessel. Evil spirits are real. They are not fake. They are not fodder for fairy tales. Evil spirits are powerful. They should be respected. Jude 8 warns against slandering celestial beings. And this was obviously a powerful spirit. He overpowered seven men. And he beat them down. Beat them so bad that somehow their clothes were ripped off of them. And they were bleeding too. Why did the evil spirit do that? Well, these exorcists 
were using authority by proxy and spells to drive out demons. They tried to ride on Paul's conviction instead of having their own conviction. They tried to use Paul's connection and relationship with Jesus instead of their own connection and relationship with Jesus. They said the right words, but they mindlessly babbled them thinking that somehow, if I some way put these words together in the right order, in the right sequence, and I use the name of Jesus, and I use the name of Paul, that somehow these demons are going to come out. They were hopelessly wrong. Ephesus was the third largest city in the empire behind Rome and Alexandria. It was the center of trade, commerce, and culture. And it would be from Ephesus that those six churches would go out that we talked about. It was also a city full of the dark arts, magic, sorcery, spells, incantations, amulets, whatever you wanted uh, in terms of magic, it was there in Ephesus at the time. And there were Jewish exorcists that were there, even though this was in direct conflict with the Old Testament. Go back and read Leviticus chapter, uh, might be 18-ish, 17-ish, 19-ish, somewhere in there. Anyway, but these guys were well known. They were famous for their magic. We still have Jewish sorcery today in 2018. Jewish mysticism is called Kabbalah, if you've ever heard of it before. There's a very, very famous female performer that practices Kabbalah. Her name rhymes with Madonna. And, I don't know if I should have said that or not, sorry, but anyway. But there's no power in a certain combination of words, a certain spell. There's no power in holy water. There's no power in some relic that you touch a person with. There's no power using somebody's name in vain. Real power comes from God. Real power comes from our relationship with Him. And you can't just hijack someone else's relationship with God and use it to your own advantage. That's like, that's like using your neighbor's Wi-Fi. I mean, like, what's up with that? You know, you're at home and you're like using someone else's Wi-Fi. Like, what happens when the connection goes down? You call and say, hey, can you please reset your router? <laughs> I can't watch YouTube. Like, that's crazy. Call cops and get your own Wi-Fi. <laughs> Same thing. You can't ride on someone else's conviction. You can't follow Jesus just because your husband or your wife follows Jesus or they really believe. You think that's enough? You know your parents won't be there for you, teens, when it's time to stand up to those people in your classrooms? You know your friends at school don't care what your daddy thinks about God? They want to know what you think. What do you have to say? Do you read your Bible? Or do you say, well, my church believes. My family believes. No. You've got to know these things for yourself. If not, you try to ride on other people's conviction, guess what? You get the beat down. <laughs> Metaphorically speaking, okay? You get the beat down. You'll keep your clothes, but you'll get the beat down. At a bare minimum, you will lose the respect of whomever you're talking to. You've got to have your own convictions, your own relationship with Jesus, your own answer for the hope that you have. Nobody wants to hear about somebody else's beliefs about God. What do you believe? We all know the saying that God doesn't have grandchildren, right? 
God has children all day long, but no grandchildren. You can't piggyback on someone else's thoughts and beliefs about God. It won't work against the powers of hell. It won't work with the powers of heaven. You won't make it because someone that you know who is really spiritual who said Jesus is Lord. Yeah. We'll make it because we've made our own good confessions that Jesus is Lord. Are you with me? Yeah. The question is, are we ready? Now this incident had a real effect on the city. Again, read verse 17. When this became known to the Jews and Greeks living in Ephesus, they were all seized with fear and the name of the Lord Jesus was held in high honor. So they realized that you can't just half-heartedly use Jesus' name for your own benefit. There were disciples who were uh, syncretistic or mixed in their religious beliefs and in their lifestyle. Even though they were disciples, they were practicing sorcery. Like, whoa, what is that? But they repented. They began to confess. They got open. And like a magician whose tricks lose power when the trick is revealed... So the sorcery lost power in their lives as they confessed. And we think, how can you be a disciple and be this way? You'd be surprised at how many make Jesus Lord but still secretly rely on other things for their strength. And so these disciples had a bonfire and they publicly burned their scrolls. These things, these scrolls, they were bought, they were sold, they were traded depending upon how powerful the spell was that was written on the scroll. And they took a financial hit in order to repent. 50,000 days wages is what those scrolls were worth. Just think, if that was just a wage of, what, $100 a day times 50,000, was that five? That's $5 million worth of scrolls that they burned that day. I remember when I was in college, I had this stack, stack of the, the filthiest, nastiest, most explicit rap music CDs that you could ever imagine. And when I began to read the Bible, began to believe in Jesus, I picked up that entire stack, I walked out to the dumpster, my friends were like, what are you going to do with that? So I'm throwing this away. I threw it all away, and my friends jumped into the dumpster again. Okay? But I threw that stuff away. It was public. It was repentance. It cost me, because I had a lot of money in those things. But over the years, I've known people to throw away cartons of cigarettes. I've known people to throw away lots of drugs and drug paraphernalia. I've known people to erase hard drives, to dump alcohol down the drain. They knew that God's power was greater than the power of nicotine, that God's power was greater than the power of alcohol or porn. And just like these Ephesians understood God's power is more powerful than their spells, their chants, and their meaningless prayers. I'm wrapping up. I know we're running late. This public repentance caused the word of the Lord to spread widely and to grow in power. And when people see us trusting in God and relying on His power, it affects them. And it makes them want to trust in God too. So do you have any scrolls to publicly burn? These guys knew that if they didn't burn their scrolls, reliance upon the scrolls would end up burning them. Like the seven sons of Sceva. It could be superstitious things that you do for luck. It could be things that you depend on for your comfort more than God. It could be hidden sin that you've held on to since you got baptized and have not dealt with in your life. 
but bring them into the light. Rob these things of their power and burn them before they burn you. The word of the Lord is powerful. God wants it to spread widely. Did you receive the Holy Spirit? When you believe, let's be humble. Let's be willing to learn. The word of the Lord must be heard. He wants our Bible discussions and our Bible talks to make an impact. And burn or be burned. If we rely on the things of this world, we will be burned in the end. Let's let the Holy Spirit lead us to repent and to burn those things instead. Our repentance will change others and will spread the word of the Lord. Amen? Amen.